0: 621 District 6. Stage 1 shooting. Kemmer Wayne, near Lakeland, Charles, 478, Tango. 378 Tingo 1664. District District 87 around. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Cebolero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. By that old clock on the wall, it tells us that it's the time of the week to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Subalero, and I want to thank you for joining us. And I got to tell you, man, it's the holiday season. You know, it's festivities. It's uh, it's just a a great time to be around. And I really don't know where I'm going with that, so I just need to quit while I'm ahead. But before I do that, let me go ahead and introduce the Ted Nugent of EMS. And that's Kelly Grayson. He's here with us. Kelly, how you doing?
1: Ho, ho, ho. I'm doing well, man. How are you?
0: That was uh, the best ho-ho-ho you got, huh? It's,
1: it's that most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> All right, well, hang on. Uh, let me, let me uh, jiggle a hole full of jelly belly here. Ho-ho-ho-ho. How's that?
0: That's a little bit better. You that still have that Cajun in you, but it, it sounded a little bit more realistic.
1: That's, that's because I spell ho-ho-ho, H-E-A-U-X.
0: Oh, I see. That works. That works out well. I'm not sure that that's not how you're supposed <laughs> that, to spell it.
1: Okay. Uh, probably is down here in Cajun country
0: you know I did that up here and uh, you got to be careful you doing ho 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 up here in uh, the area of Ferguson people get insulted they don't know what you're talking about
1: well that's true you know in some places ho 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 is uh Jimmy Swaggart's last three days so
0: that's right uh, it's not Crazy. Necessarily
1: a holiday. <laughs> <group>. <laughs> that's
0: right so uh you got your Christmas shopping done or what's up with that
1: no, man, I'm not doing my Christmas shopping yet. Uh, my Christmas shopping is traditionally done in a mad dash on December the 24th. Uh, um, that sort of thing. Actually, I'm, I'm leaving most of the Christmas shopping to Nancy. I just turn over the uh, turn over the checkbook to her and say, you know, surprise me with something. Uh, I'm lucky in that I only really have two people to buy Christmas gifts for: my daughter and my girlfriend. So uh, that's that's pretty straightforward. I can probably do that online and. And, uh, and hide those things from her in, until the
0: day. So. Right. Well, that's good, man. That's a good way to get out of it. Uh, usually I've got a little bit bigger. I've got the wife. i got a couple dogs. I usually get them on a little something as well. You know, i got four kids. i got five grandkids. I've got, uh, so, uh, you know, usually I don't uh, survive. Uh, we need to get Sean Eddie on to talk about how we survive Christmas. Let's go ahead. We'll uh, begin the show. We got some really big news we want to bring to you guys at the end of the show. So before we get started with uh that,
1: let, let me let me ask you. You you buy Christmas gifts for your dogs?
0: I sure do, man. I mean, they they don't just need to sit around where everybody else is opening presents. You know, I usually go and get them a new toy or sometimes if I'm feeling festive, <laughs> I will go to the local butcher and get them a femur bone and allow them to have at it uh, for Christmas. I mean, uh, you know, they're part of the family, man. You know, I mean, I'm one of them people. I talk to my dogs and uh, what's going on? You have a good day. Get out of here. Look what you did. Your paws are dirty. Are you outside digging again? I mean, things like that, you know. So I feel a little bit uh, festive and I need to get them a little something something.
1: Dude. It's it's a dog. Christmas is every time you walk in the door. Hi hey, Dan, I'm glad to see you. <laughs>
0: That's oh, it's Christmas! It's the time of the year. <laughs> you know dogs. Dog, you know dude. dogs don't talk, right? I
1: can't believe you. Well, yeah, my, my dog talks. He's he's very eloquent, actually.
0: How like is that? How is dog, that dog I, doing? I've
1: trained him absolutely. Oh, he's doing great. Shinerbach is a is a cool dog. He's big, clumsy, stupid, uh, but he, he's a he's a sweet dog.
0: And he has his own Facebook page, so if you guys want to become friends with Kelly's dog, uh, go ahead and check out his Facebook page and uh, join the, uh, the Shinerbach page. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some news, Kelly. The
1: first news item comes from uh, uh, Hamilton, Ontario, and I found this very interesting in my, uh, in my news feed just recently. A uh, Hamilton, Ontario paramedic uh, got two years probation and community service for not providing adequate care. This is, this is kind of a uh, landmark or a very chilling decision on the part of uh, the, uh, the um, prosecutors in, in Canada in that they held a, a paramedic criminally liable, not just civilly liable, uh, for the care he provided. And seven and a half critical minutes three years ago ended this guy's career his life contributed to the death of a man. He was he was called for a patient who had been uh, in a confrontation with uh, police and had been pushed against the wall and when he arrived the 59 uh, year old uh, uh, patient was uh, sitting in a chair um, with his head slumped forward and his chin on his chest and his airway was blocked um, and there was blood on the brick wall behind him and, and as the medic walked in uh, he uh, um, was met by firefighters who were leaving and had not treated the patient either and, uh, and he documented uh, that the or he documented the patient's condition but didn't provide any direct care himself noted that he needed ambulance transport as quickly as possible he, he responded in a uh, in a uh, quick response vehicle not an ambulance um, and apparently didn't render any aid and the guy died from uh, from uh, anoxia and, and a, a head injury and, and the, the, uh, the courts there found him criminally liable. Uh, and this poor guy, is uh, um, uh, they, they accused him of a breach of public trust uh, and sentenced him to be, uh, 200 hours of community service and two years of probation. Uh, ruined him financially. Now he's, he's out of a job, can't become a paramedic again, and uh, is um, living in a church with several other people. He even lost his home for this. And, And it's uh, the paramedics unions in in Ontario are are looking at this with some concern, uh, and rightly so, that that someone, you know, not not only can you be held civilly liable and professionally so, but uh, they can actually punish you criminally for this, uh, for breach of care.
0: You know, one of the things that I would think about is this is very, very uh, uh, um, familiar to the case, I think, in New York City. Uh, you know the guy that was uh, we talked about with the choke hold, and he couldn't breathe. And and I gotta tell you, man, I, I mean, I think that our, we have a responsibility. Just like our police brothers and our fire brethren, you know, we have a responsibility to take care of the people that we are charged to take care of. And if we identify the fact that someone's in cardiac arrest, they're not breathing, that we could have made a difference. We could have made a difference in their survival and we don't do what we can do to save them. I think that we should be held liable for that. And, uh, you know, I have to applaud. I'm sorry for what happened to the gentleman. I'm sorry it ruined his life. I'm sorry he lost his home. But that is the responsibility that we have, that we have to be able to take those consequences if we throw that responsibility out the window.
1: Well, yeah, and, and, and I, I can see your point. It's the the union representatives uh, and their providers union there is... is um, you know, is that uh, their their issue is that it you know it places a, it has a chilling effect on other providers. They wonder if it, if they'll be called skin and uh, be you know risking incarceration for the next time they screw up on the job. And in this case, it seems that uh, that uh, the uh, paramedic Paul Zinchuk was you know his his care was pretty egregiously bad. Um, and, uh, I don't know that, that, uh, criminal liability would, would, uh, you know, be a likelihood for just, you know, uh, a mistake or, 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 minor, uh, or, you know, just plain old negligence. Gross negligence, uh, apparently is what they felt he is, uh, he was guilty of and, and punished him criminally for it. But, uh, it, uh... You know, being that it's in another country and their legal system is somewhat different than ours, uh, it may not be applicable 100% to U.S. medics, but there's definitely something to that. You know, there are other, uh, there are, you know, right across the border, they're, they're uh, um, jailing paramedics for, uh, for failing to uh, provide proper care. Definitely something you can, should keep in mind has been set
0: you know kelly i i i agree with you 100 percent. but here i, I want to go ahead and flip news stories on you now and i want to bring you my news story and you <laughs> and i you and i kind of discussed this a little bit before we got on the air and this was just uh this one just came up it was done by our editor-in-chief greg freeze we had him on last week he, he thanked us again for having a great show and greg thank you for being a fan of the show as well as one of the best bosses that i think we've ever had kelly right
1: yeah and and um he's he's uh he- Yes, it's a, a wonderful Patrick the Starfish impression.
0: Yes, he does. But let's go ahead, and I want to bring you my story that he just he just put up, and and actually I had to scratch out my other news story because uh, you say this has been going around for about a week, and it's the first I'm hearing about it, but. Uh, Will Michigan allow EMS providers to withhold care based on a patient's sexuality? And uh, this comes out of Michigan. And with the passage of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act by Michigan's House of Representatives, many are asking, will the EMT, because of their religious beliefs, be able to refuse treatment to a person because because they're gay? And uh, I gotta tell you, man, I have a little bit of challenge and a little bit of heartburn with this. And uh, there, there's another sub headline in here where Greg writes Should religious beliefs trump EMS providers' obligation to care for a patient that requests our service? And I gotta tell you, I can't believe, I can't believe that I'm reading this. Is it really coming down to the fact that if I have a religious belief and I'm in this career field, that I have the opportunity to say and pass judgment that I I am not going to take care of you because you're in cardiac arrest and and your sexual orientation offends me. And I got to tell you, this just totally. Uh, this has got to be the most egregious thing I've heard in our career field uh, since I've been doing this job.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you, and and it's distressing to me as well. I think to a certain extent, the the stories that are going around uh, and and uh, where they're taking this this is a, a bit of a reductio ad absurdum. Argument. They're taking it to the logical extreme. And however, you know. <laughs> The people that that passed this sort of uh, legislation in the first place should say that you know that's not their end goal anyway. I think it's incredibly poorly conceived uh, and needs to needs to be immediately repealed. You know, as a uh, as a Christian, it offends me. I don't think God needs protection from the courts, and I don't think religious freedom needs uh, protection from the courts. I think we have a, a First Amendment that established that uh, Congress shall make no law regarding establishment of an official religion. Uh, And the reason for that was is not only did did our founding fathers want freedom of religion, but they wanted freedom from religion as well. I don't want my politicians meddling in my religious beliefs and and in my church, and I don't want my preachers telling me how to vote. They need to stay separate, uh, and and mixing the two uh, winds up with this sort of thing. Um, I, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, actually, as to how stupid uh, such legislation can be. Um, but there you are. Uh, the only thing I can be thankful for is that it happened in Michigan and not Louisiana.
0: Yeah, I mean, but you know, think about the consequences that we have here. I mean, we have an obligation to ensure that we deliver the highest quality. I mean, what's next? Does it really come down to the fact to say that uh, you know I have an affiliation with a group, a, a hate group, to say I'm not going to take care of another population because I think it's an inferior uh, because I think it's an inferior group of people? I mean, is that really where we're going to get to? Now, I understand the interpretation of the Bible that says that uh, this may be a sin or or however that works out. But again, I think we have a moral and and a a professional responsibility to say that... uh you know, we got to deliver the highest quality of patient care regardless of race, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of political beliefs, regardless of, of the ability to pay for services. And I think this is crosses an incredible line. But uh, I think this is something you and I could talk about all day. So, uh, you know, rather than jump into uh, all this craziness, uh, you know, maybe we go to the next story.
1: Yeah, because my my disgust is, is reaching epic levels uh, on on this topic. Uh, it's uh, it's egregious. That's um, I can say for it. But let's go to the next issue. And and I found an interesting thing here. Um, uh, a study uh, uh, barriers to calling 911 and learning performing cardiopulmonary resuscitation for residents of primarily Latino high-risk neighborhoods in Denver, Colorado. Uh, This was published online in the Annals of Emergency Medicine, Uh, and basically it says that uh, one of the biggest barriers for uh, the Latino community uh, in calling 911 for cardiac arrest is fear of police. Uh, um, You know, the language barrier that as well, is is also a pretty big one. Plus, um, plus the uh, there are some some cultural barriers about uh, touching people and, and uh, touching strangers and, and that sort of thing um, is uh, is a cultural barrier that stands in the way. But I think in this day and age, I think it's it's rather sad that a significant portion of our community and, and our Latino population nationwide is growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, we're we're seeing the browning of America, um, and Regardless of whether how you, how you feel about uh, our immigration laws and, and our border security, the fact that we have a significant portion of of uh, uh, demographic of people living in the United States who are fearful of calling EMS uh, because they are afraid the cops will will arrive and deport them uh, is is uh, unexcused. Um, how we how we go about. Uh, fixing that is uh, remains to be seen i'm interested in hearing your thoughts
0: you know one of the things that uh, i can tell you from my experience is uh, when i was down in fort worth texas working for medstar uh, there was a big uh, hispanic population and we saw this and uh, there were folks that were hit by cars there were folks that received uh, stabbings there were folks that received gunshots And uh, the fear was that they didn't want to, uh, you know, they didn't want your care and they wanted you to disappear as quick as you could because they didn't want the cops showing up. And and again, you know, I think we have an obligation to say, you know, you can't count the number of unregistered uh, folks that were at the county hospital that, uh, you know, were were a a drain on the system, but they still treated them and they gave them the best patient care that they could. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a problem. And... And remember, it's not just the older Latinos that are uh, the undocumented Latinos that are having the challenges, but it's their kids as well. And and their kids aren't getting taken care of. And their kids have broken bones. And their kids are falling down the stairs. And their kids are being hit in the head with, uh, you know, uh, you know, bats, uh, whatever it is, and we can't deliver care to them because they're afraid that the cops are going to get involved and they're going to be deported. And uh, I'm with you, man. I don't know what the answer is.
1: I think, uh, uh, I think this is yet another thing where mobile integrated uh, community health, mobile integrated health care would, would work. Uh, uh, community paramedicine outreach into these Latino communities teaching them CPR, Teaching them that that you know uh, when it is necessary to call nine one one and and, uh, um, and and how to keep a, a loved one alive until the ambulance arrives, and trying to break down some of those fears and barriers. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know that we can do it with with public services over the uh, over the airwaves and, and on television and radio. I think we need to get out there and directly inter- interact interact people of the Latino community and let them know that you know regardless of how you are here legally or illegally or, or what have you um, that doesn't matter to 99.99% of EMTs we're here to to render and I think the same could be tr- could be said of emergency department personnel as what I felt um, uh, last thing I'm looking for when I'm treating a, a patient is uh, is their immigration status or whether they have a valid driver's license or, or you know I, I don't social
0: security number.
1: To, yeah, I, I don't think we. Uh, I, I think that's something uh, that that's uh, yeah. uh, an issue we we probably need to address directly uh, in those communities.
0: Because I got to think that there's a lawyer somewhere that if we refuse to take care of a unregistered uh, uh latino um uh, uh, unregistered hispanic uh there's a lawyer somewhere in the united states that's going to make a court case against an ambulance company that's going to make a court case against the hospital and uh that's just not going to happen and I think you're, you're right I think the education of the folks is going to be important but let me go ahead and bring you our last story Kelly this was one that I'm sure you saw and I'd be interested to know your thoughts in it where three Florida dispatchers were fired after a fatal gun battle they did not alert the responders to a, uh, to a house fire that a man at the home threatened to shoot the arriving law enforcement a deputy was killed one more was wounded before the man was killed this happened in Tallahassee Florida it was on November Twenty-second, and they were ambushed by a fifty-three-year-old man. And I got to tell you, I mean, this goes really to the the core of you know the the field versus dispatch um, uh, controversy that we hear about all the time. And it, mm-hmm. it's, it's their job in that dark room to make sure that we stay safe. And when you fail to give information about staging or the possibility that we could arrive on scene and our lives be threatened because of somebody who, who told you that this was going to happen, I, I got to tell you, I mean, this is just another one of those things where I, I think three people lost their job. Um, and I think it was just.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not only was it just that they lose their job, but this is this. You could draw the parallel with the story we just discussed about the Ontario uh, primary care paramedic who was held criminally liable. Uh, If there are three people, uh, if there is an if there is one instance where criminal liability should attach, I think it's this one right here. Uh, You know, we had public safety uh, officers. You know, we had cops and firefighters get shot. Uh, Some of them died because of this. Three people knew. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you had one job. <laughs> take a call, take down the information, dispatch the appropriate personnel, and give them updates en route. That's what you do. I would think that a person on scene has been threatening to shoot responders would be one of those need-to-know items to pass on. If you can't do that, not only should you not be working as a dispatcher, you should be in jail for failing to pass on that information. That directly led injury and death you know uh, I I joke all the time that uh, um, unknown medical emergency is dispatcher code for riot and progress Um, but but this is really no joking matter it's not funny that this happened uh, and something needs to be done about it Uh, I hate to be the one to advocate uh, stringing people up by their toes and public hangings uh, but I don't think in this case that firing was uh, was sufficient punishment for these
0: I gotta tell you, man, it's been a crazy week for some news stories, and uh, it's news stories like that, like this, that uh, uh, keep us entertaining our uh, our uh, listeners. But uh, some crazy days, some crazy news stories uh, recently, and uh, uh, I don't know what. Uh, I'm glad that the year is going to end because we need to get back to some semblance of some uh, normalcy. But uh, you know, I think uh, with that, it's time for us to make a switch to our clinical issue, and you know, we we kind of went back. Uh, back and forth on this a couple times over the week uh, when we talked about doing this story and uh, i'll go ahead and set it up uh, emergency responders still feeling the effects of sandy hook as we get close to the anniversary uh, december 14th 2012 of sandy hook uh, you know, that was a big thing. And you and I, Kelly, we, we've been very, very sympathetic to the stresses of EMS providers this year. You know, we, we've talked quite a bit about, uh, you know, uh, the Code Green campaign and, and that uh, a lot of our uh, brethren are taking their own lives because of stress. And this was a really good story that came out on December 6th that uh, comes and it, it references a gentleman, Peter Houlihan. And uh, he's of Reading and, and he's never missed a day of work over a bad call at Says, but he still has the emotionally overwhelmed trauma of this incident and he says when he closes his eyes he sees the kids and when he closes his eyes he sees the parents and you know uh, you know even after all this time um we've got to be able to reach out to these folks and we've got to be able to give them the the care that they need because this is what we talk about and this is what we've been so passionate about when it comes to to saving our our uh first responder brethren that Uh, they're not uh, hanging at the end of a rope or putting a gun in their mouth and it's calls like these that uh, we may think that uh, should be trivialized that uh, are doing harm and and they're doing harm for years
1: and Mr. Houlihan demonstrates the typical EMS attitude toward, toward such calls he's very stoic he says, "You know, I I, uh, I feel the anxiety and the anger and the fear. But hey, I've gone on a lot of bad calls. What's the point of, of getting help for this one? I didn't even go inside, and I feel like I'm being a wimp if I seek out help. And I didn't even I didn't even go inside the school. But I think many of us fail to to." Uh, understand or fail to recognize that uh, the emotional toll that it puts on you and, and it, you don't have to experience it directly. A lot of us fail to realize that you don't have to experience the trauma directly to have it affect you. You don't even have to have been on the call. Survivor guilt uh, from from your, your fellow EMTs getting killed in, a, in an accident uh, affects us. Um, the the urge of, of wanting to do something and then being denied and, and not being able to help is incredibly frustrating and, and uh, in some ways is uh, is you know physically harmful to us. Um, you know these guys are, are still we're coming up uh, on the 14th two year anniversary of uh, Sandy Hook and um, you know my heart goes out to the providers that had to uh, that had to respond because I know for a fact that it's still affecting some of them even today. Um, I've I've done a lot of lecturing in Connecticut. I know some of the people uh, with the Sandy Diego Volunteer Ambulance Corps, and, and from Danbury, and, and uh, uh, my girlfriend's from Connecticut, and her two of her nephews were Connecticut State Troopers working that scene, um, and, and they still won't and can't talk about it. Um, we, you know, just because the uh, the issue was two years ago doesn't mean that it's still not affecting them even today.
0: You know, Kelly, I got to ask you, do, do you think that the EMS career field is culpable in allowing this PTSD to go on? I mean, are we teaching how to manage stress in the EMTs and paramedic courses? Are we stressing that Are we stressing that, um, you know, you're going to come across these calls, it may weigh heavy on your heart, it may weigh heavy on your conscience, and you've got to be able to learn how to deal with these things from the very beginning? Or is the bravado uh, and the egotism of our career fields keeping us in a place to say, I can't show emotion, I can't allow myself to get caught up in this call, I can't ask for help, people are going to think I'm a wimp. Are we allowing our career field to precipitate this post this post-traumatic stress disorder and not allowing our our first responders to heal
1: i think it's a combination of all those things you mentioned i think part of it is our is is our professional ethos that you know we we shouldn't let these things bother us Uh, you you know what you think you were signing up for junior and and you've got to suck it up and and move on if you want to Treat your patients uh, um, appropriately. There is some of that, but there's also the fact that we we pay lip service to it until it actually affects us. When you know we have an entire chapter in EMT textbooks right there at the beginning called the Well Being of the EMT, uh, and it talks about stress management and and uh, proper uh, stress relief techniques and and the importance of a healthy life work balance and all that kind of stuff. And we regard it as mostly something to get through uh, in teaching before we get to the good stuff about being an EMT. It's only paid lip service. Uh, you breeze through it in an hour or so, and, and it's telling uh, when, when it finally happens to, to uh, one of us. Uh, we don't have those skills in place. We don't have those, those uh, defense mechanisms and those coping mechanisms in place. Uh, hopefully we had them in place before then, um, but we don't do a good job of, of teaching them in class.
0: You know, I think 2015, we need to go ahead, you and I, and lead the charge of uh, stress and, uh, uh, you know, bringing awareness to this situation. I mean, we've got a great forum right here, you and I. Uh, A lot of people are listening to the show. The show is uh, listened to internationally now. We're we're the International Inside EMS uh, podcast. And I think... Yeah, that's right. And I think that you and I really need to be the, the, the chairs of this and get with our, with our peers at the Code Green campaign. Um, but, you know, let me ask you this. I mean, you've been around for a long time. Uh, you, you still work on the street. Uh, you have been very, very forthcoming with your own uh, challenges that you've had throughout your career. What is it going to take if we set off to make 2015 the year that we bring, uh, you know, this stress to the forefront? What's the first steps that our career field needs to take that will allow us to recognize and help treat the people that are crying for help that we don't hear?
1: I think the first step is to destigmatize it. We have to. We have to to sing the message and, and beat the drum that there's nothing wrong with you if this if these sorts of things bother you and it doesn't have to be one single event stress can be cumulative Uh, and eventually without the proper coping mechanisms it can overwhelm even the strongest of us. I've, I've never been the type you know I'm not the PTSD type or I thought I wasn't yet I can remember one particular call and I can remember the name of one particular man that that call gave me nightmares for years And the call itself was not anything particularly stressful that I did um, or anything that I haven't seen before or since. It was the call that that psychically beat me up the worst because that was the one call in my career where I honestly felt that uh, my failings, I didn't do something that could have saved a life and I blame myself for it. If I had done things differently that I should have known how to do, uh, he would probably be alive today and and the you know the guilt from that gave me nightmares for many years and, and uh, occasionally something dredges it up even today so I guess that would be considered PTSD um, but yeah the first thing is is just we've got to get rid of this notion that um, people who suffer from depression or PTSD are weaker or damaged in some way um, they're not it's and it doesn't if it didn't affect you and it affected somebody else it doesn't mean that they're they're weaker than you are it just means it affected them in a different way and and get rid of that stigma and and people will will if they're not to be a, uh, afraid of being judged and looked at as different than their peers they're more likely to reach out for help
0: i agree well kelly it sounds like we have a clinical issue
1: yes we do and and i would i would say to the uh to the guys uh uh, in Danbury and the, the Newtown Volunteer Ambulance Corps, it's coming up on uh, five days. Will be the the two year anniversary, um, guys. Uh, uh, we wish you the best, and uh, we we wish you peace. Uh, and I'm not going to, to keep talking about it because one thing that I've I've noticed is that uh, and heard from from people who live in that area and people who live in Newtown is they wish the disaster tourists and the the grief mongers would just leave them alone. But uh, you know that if you need to reach out and you need to talk uh you have an avenue to do it uh call us up and and we're here for you
0: so let's go ahead and transition out of there and uh uh, but I, I, you know, we we talked about at the top of the show that we had some really big news, and I, I think it's time to bring that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you and I have been very fortunate to have the opportunity, and and we've talked about uh, doing Inside EMS, uh, you and I, almost two mm-hmm. years ago uh, when you were here in uh, Missouri at mm-hmm. the ICE conference, and you know, we sat down and and we talked about the uh, you know the opportunity to do the show and the, kind of the way that we would do it, and uh, you know, you and I have. Um, Different styles of uh, you know medicine, of uh, you know leadership. You know, we we come from two different worlds. I mean, you're the country guy, and I'm the city guy, and and I've had a really great time, and we've got some really great feedback of the show, and uh, we've got some really big news. And the news is on December 29th at five p.m. We are going to conduct a live show, and we're going to bring that show to our listeners. Uh, it'll be ninety minutes. Uh, we're going to take some calls. We're going to have some guests. We're going to bring you the top five news stories of the year. And i got to tell you, Kelly, I'm really excited about this.
1: Oh, oh me too. Um, you know, in in the words of, of Ed Sullivan, it's going to be a really, really good show. Really <laughs> good show. Um, we're going to uh, uh, finally, after uh, almost seven months of doing this podcast, we're going to be able to interact live with some of our listeners and field some questions and, and talk to you guys in the Room and, and hopefully we won't have to bleep out too much stuff. Uh, I don't think we'll, we will be able to bleep out too much stuff, so I'm going to have to watch uh, watch my, uh, myself to make sure that because um, I won't have the uh, the benefit of, of Chris's magic editing. But it's going to be great to, to talk about the EMS issues of the day and and to uh, cap up our uh, uh, our year and and uh, talk to some of our listeners live and see what they're uh, what uh, the end of the year and, and the coming year in EMS means for them. I'm looking forward to
0: it. And I think that it's going to be really exciting that... uh you know, uh, it, you know, we, we do some editing on this show and, uh, you and I have said some things that haven't made it to the, uh, to the reels that people are listening to. And sometimes we've allowed our emotions to dictate our actions and, and, uh, sometimes we've slipped with a couple swear words and sometimes we've, uh, you know, said things that may have, uh, caused a lot of controversy and, uh, you know, you, you guys are going to get it. You guys are going to get it raw and, uh, hopefully we don't offend too many people. And, uh, But we want to hear from you as well. I mean, you're the reason that we're here. I mean, uh, you know, Kelly and I, we're not just here talking to each other. We want to try to be entertaining. We know what it's like to sit in the truck for 12 hours and wait for that call to come or sit in the uh, firehouse for... uh you know, 24 hours waiting for those calls to come. And, and we want to try to be a little bit entertaining. We want to try to bring you a little bit of knowledge. We want to try to bring you some interesting guests. And now we want to hear from you. As we end 2014 and as we start uh, 2015, a great way to do that is to uh, interact with our audience and uh, hear what you like about the show, hear what you hate about the show. And I'm sure Kelly's going to hear the fact that he's not the, the most uh, liked host on this show, which is okay. He needs to hear those things. <laughs> so he can go into 2015 with uh, with a clearer conscience, I think, and a little bit less of an ego. But, uh, yeah, Kelly, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I think you're going to be sadly disappointed if, if uh, our listeners start weighing in on, on who's the better host. Uh, but uh, it's been a pleasure uh, spending the last seven months with you, um, talking about EMS issues and, and uh, the news of the day, and I uh, look forward to doing more of it for 2015. And, uh, man, I think we need for 2015 we need to start saving some of our outtakes and have an inside EMS gag reel. We need to throw some of that stuff
0: in there. Actually, I've been saving them, and uh, so I do have them, and we just need to find a way, and, and maybe we go ahead and do that mid-year as we put together a gag reel. And, uh, you know, if if the live shows are successful, I think every now and again maybe we should think about throwing a live show into this, into this mix and, uh, you know, just making that part of the process of inside EMS.
1: Indeed. Uh, indeed if it turns out to be a winning formula we'll we, we need to do more of it and we'll uh, get to interact with our listeners in real time and until then uh, remember market calendars December the 29th at 5 p.m we'll we'll post more information on, on how to log into the show and how to listen to us in the live stream uh, but until then we'd love to hear your questions thoughts comments and concerns email us at the show at ems1.com and I'm Kelly Grayson for my co-host Chris Sebolera. We'll see you next week.